0: you're listening to the divestopedia exit strategy podcast where we interview entrepreneurs who have sold their companies and the advisors that help them we elicit expert advice from exit planners attorneys merger and acquisition experts accountants business appraisers and financial advisors all with a goal of educating you about the sales process Make sure to visit us on the web at divestopedia.com to see more of our resources for entrepreneurs who want to sell their business for the best price and terms. Whether you are thinking of selling, have started a sales process, or are post-deal, we aim to arm you with the knowledge required to maximize value and limit your downside risk. And now, here's your host, Noah Rosenfarb, a CPA and personal CFO to business owners planning their transition.
1: Welcome. It's Noah Rosenfarb from Freedom Business Advisors. Here with another great guest, Doctor Basel Peters. He is the author of a wonderful new book called Early Exits. But beyond that, he's the CEO of Strategic Exits Corp, and he's done a lot of amazing things. So, Basel, thanks for coming on the show.
2: Thanks for inviting me, Noah.
1: My pleasure. Why don't you tell our audience your first introduction to exits? You know, when you built and sold your company. Walk me through what happened there.
2: I'm an engineer. And really, I'm a geek, techie, nerd, whatever you want to call somebody who has been fascinated by technology from a young age. I went through, got a PhD in electrical and computer engineering. And when I was at grad school, I started a company in the actual electrical engineering building at my alma mater. And we manufactured equipment for satellite television and cable television applications. And we grew that to be the second largest company in the world of that type. And I was the chairman and CEO right from the founding all the way through to the exit. And my first introduction to everything not to do when you're selling a company was in actually living through that first exit, where much later in my career, I finally had the courage to go back and actually admit to myself all of the things that I did wrong in that first exit. And when I say courage, I'm not exaggerating. It was actually very difficult for me and very painful for me to recall all of the things that I now know I shouldn't have done or could have done better in that first experience.
1: How long were you operating that company?
2: From the founding through to the eventual sale was between 11 and 12 years, depending on how you count the sale date. So we, we get up to about 500 employees. So we were a, a pretty good-sized company. And we actually ended up selling the company to our largest competitor, which was a Fortune 500 company called Scientific Atlanta, and then they were subsequently acquired by Cisco. So the company that I started in grad school is actually still alive and well. It's part of Cisco. Some of the people I hired right out of school are still working at Cisco on the business that I started many years ago, which which is quite gratifying.
1: So what seems to be such an outward success story, you know, building the business from nothing to 500 employees over a decade, selling it to what was a wonderful brand name, and you know, which in turn became Cisco, and it still lives on. What would you say are some of the biggest mistakes, in spite of the story that sounds so so wonderful, and what everybody wants?
2: Well, what everybody wants, I hope Noah, is to have a successful exit. And I think, to be fair, I cannot count that first experience as a successful exit. Yes, it was an exit, but. It wasn't what I would call successful because we didn't do some of the things that I now hope that all good boards, founders, and CEOs would do. And you know, if anybody wants to learn more about everything that I did wrong in that first experience, the most popular video on my blog has for years been a talk I gave to the entrepreneurs organization when they wanted me to come in and tell a war story, tell a story about all the things not to do. And that was when I first enumerated all of the mistakes that I made in that first exit. And on my blog, you can find that either by searching how not to sell a company or something like that. It's pretty prominent up there. But let me tell you a few of the things that I wish I had been better educated or I wish my board members had been more knowledgeable about in that first exit. The first thing was we never had an exit strategy. At no time, even though we had seven people on the board most of the time, and they were good, intelligent, experienced angels and VCs. At no time in the history of the company did we have a conversation about the exit strategy. And I'm embarrassed to admit that today. And I'm still quite mortified by how many companies, when I ask the CEO or ask directors what the exit strategy is, I get a blank stare back. And not having that exit strategy, not having any understanding of what it was we were trying to do when we came to work every day, having no goal that we could align the company and its team around, led to a couple of other serious shortcomings in the eventual exit process. One of them was that we did not time our exit well. We actually let ourselves be at the mercy of the external macroeconomic events, and that's what determined when we decided to start the exit. And like I see in so many companies, you know, when things were going wonderfully well, when every quarter we were selling more and every quarter the profits are going up, you know, when my biggest challenge was how to hire more people, I never thought for a minute about selling the company. It was just too much fun. But as I've now come to appreciate, that's absolutely the best time to be thinking about selling the company when everything is going perfectly. And I think that if I had been, if I could go back today and, and talk to my 40 year old self, the first thing I do is I grab myself by the lapels, whack myself upset upside the head with a brick and say, Everything's going perfectly, for heaven's sakes, sell the company now. And because, you know, companies are started and often managed by entrepreneurs uh, who are eternal optimists, we're really bad at doing that. We are really good at seeing the potential of growing the company in the future. We're really good at imagining how much more it would be worth if we could just continue on this growth track. But almost universally we're terrible at assessing risk. And in the financial world, risk and return or risk and reward are inextricably interrelated. And that's why so many entrepreneurs end up doing what I did, which was to have a less than successful exit when they finally sell the company they've been working on for so many years of their lives.
1: Yeah. And and would you say that was a predominantly from a financial standpoint, or even emotionally and going to work for the buyer and whatever transgressed after that?
2: I think the financial part is not the biggest part of what I would consider successful. You know, in most exits, in most companies' sales, the event has a much greater impact outside of the financial sphere. For most founders, most CEOs, often even for angel investors, the exit is a life-changing event. And One of the ways that I described my lack of complete success, and one of the things that I speak very often to groups of entrepreneurs about is timing your exit better so that you don't live through a phase of your life like I did, where for the better part of a couple of years, I would go into work every day. I'd work 12, maybe 14 hours. I'd work hard. I'd work smart. and Then I'd drive home and in the worst times, I would think to myself that today, after working hard for 12 or 14 hours, I probably lost 10 dollars or $20,000 personally. And that happened in our case because we got into a change in the macroeconomic environment. And no matter how hard we worked, there was nothing we could do to prevent the value of the company from decreasing. So in my own case, I lived through a couple of the worst years of my life where all I could do was just go in there and work my heart out, but the result every day was I was ten or twenty thousand dollars poorer every day for like a couple of years. And that that was kind of painful. And that's something I am devoting a good part of my life to providing the knowledge and the skills to entrepreneurs and investors to prevent that from happening to them. Because as I say in my workshop, that's part of your life you're never going to get back.
1: And is that uh, if I had to recalibrate that into like a financial term, are you saying if you backload your sale with an earnout, and you're not taking enough chips off the table up front to make you feel like you have a successful
2: exit, you're just leaving too much risk in the company without the upside? Let me do even better than that. No, let me describe it in how it happened for me. I believe that if We had an exit strategy. And I know that if we timed the exit just a little bit better, like let's say we sold two years earlier than we did, I could have gone and taken my family and lived in the most expensive resort in the world for those two years. And I still would have had more money left over than I did for working my heart out for that two year period. Because the difference in what we could have gotten if we'd sold at the top and what we ended up selling for. I probably could have lived for 10 years in the most expensive resort in the world. And that's kind of what I wish for entrepreneurs and shareholders is, you know, if they if they had an exit strategy, if they were better at exit timing, you know, and if you could see your life taking two paths. In one path, you work your heart out, you go home poorer every day, not that much fun. In the other path, you sell at a better time and you spend that time instead in the most expensive resort in the world, just, you know, doing whatever you want to do. And you end up at the end of those two with about the same amount of money. In the future, my preference is to stay at the most expensive resort in the world, and I'm doing whatever I can to help more entrepreneurs, more shareholders, more angel investors make that choice rather than letting events happen to them, letting the exit be driven by external events rather than a well-thought-out exit strategy.
1: So Rob Flea is famous for saying that you know we can't time the public markets, but we could time the private markets. Do you agree with
2: that? I do. And and just to make sure that we're being clear to our audience here, you know, none of us can predict the timing of the markets very well. You know, we don't know what's going to happen in the economy. There are events that even the chairman of the Fed can't foresee. But what we can do, and to Rob Slee's point, is we can decide when we want to sell our companies. And that is such an enormous opportunity for any shareholder of any private company to to think about the optimum timing, the amount that you could end up making might be two, three, five times more. I've seen cases where it was 50 or 100 times more just by getting the timing closer to the optimum. And again, this is one of the things that entrepreneurs and shareholders of every type, whether they're friends and family investors, whether they're angel investors, and whether they're venture capital investors, one of the things that we just haven't learned to do very well yet and one of the things that i'm devoting a lot of my time and money to is to helping to develop better practices on exit timing and helping i hope helping you know hundreds of companies do it better and you know one of my famous quotes and one of my famous and very popular videos is one that i call don't ride it over the top and what i'm trying to put in the minds of the entrepreneurs and the shareholders is that image of you know, riding it over the top, waiting too long to exit, starting down on that negative slope where you're going the value's decreasing and you can't stop it, and then you end up selling. And I'm I'm trying to help people visualize in the private markets where we can't see the prices of the stock every day, helping them with understand how to best estimate the optimum exit timing and how to sell somewhere near the top of the value in their business rather than the alternative.
1: So I was with a client the other day, actually his 65th birthday, and we spent in the office talking about his exit, him and his wife, and they just had their second grandkid, and uh, here he is on his 65th birthday, and he says, you know, I'd like to work another five or 10 years, and I'm suggesting to him that he could work five or 10 years and potentially get the same price, you know, total value, total return between today and 10 years from now. That he could get it today and not have to work and not have the risk versus maybe waiting 10 years, taking out the cash flow over those 10 years and then selling 10 years from now. Just because I I see that the market is willing to pay a premium for a company like his and that premium might not exist forever. Is that the message that you're sending to a lot of entrepreneurs?
2: I think that's very wise, Noah. And I think that uh, you were providing that gentleman and his wife with some invaluable advice just then. And this is another example of something I see almost every day, and it breaks my heart. I mean, I, that story you just told to me is a very sad story because, you know, here's somebody who sounds like they've been successful, who sounds like at 65 should be enjoying their life, who probably because they aren't an M&A professional, doesn't appreciate that this is the best M&A market that we've seen for 15 years at least and also probably being you know not a student of the markets but probably an expert in his own business but you know not an expert in the financial cycles doesn't appreciate that even if he does work for the next 10 years there's a really good chance he'll never get the price he could get today even if he doubles the size of the business if we just return to historic valuations he might not get as much as he could get today so here's a gentleman doing exactly i think st- you know if he doesn't take your advice really quickly and start Right now, I'm really worried that 10 years from now, he'll have worked hard for 10 years. He'll have shortened the remainder of his life by working too hard for 10 years. He'll end up with less money then than if he had sold now and gone to the most expensive resort in the world, stayed there with his wife. I hope she's listening. Stayed there. They still have more money left over. You know, and, you know, the other part of that, you No, know, just to reinforce and to make it even more hit at home and a little bit harder, I think that, you know, every company. Will have an exit. And I think that they kind of divide into three categories. There's the people who have a strategy, a good exit strategy, and their opportunities to sell the company well for an incredibly good price, especially these days. Or as I see happen far too often, they end up selling the company for far less than they could have because they didn't have a strategy and also because they didn't have the professionals to help them. And quite frankly, they get taken advantage of by the buyers. But the worst thing that I see is far too often for people of the generation you were talking about a minute ago, they very often get wheeled out of their offices. And I see, and I have so many friends who are mid-60s, early 70s, they've been eating right, they've been working out, feel invincible. And I hate when I get a call from the wife, who's now the CEO, Who's completely devastated by the loss of her husband and is now the shareholder and CEO and everything else in that company. And I think that if more CEOs, if more business owners could see that future, they'd be lined up at your office and they'd be taking the advice that you were giving that gentleman who was 65 years old. Yeah.
1: Well, unfortunately, the surveys are that 85% of people don't have a plan, right? Even those that are in their 50s and even into their 60s. So people are adverse to planning for what's going to happen to their business. So how are you persuading them to put pen to paper and come up with a strategy?
2: I think there's two parts to it. The hard part is human psychology. And the easy part is education about M&A. You know, I'm at a point in my own career where I'm fortunate that I get to do whatever I want. And I spend about a third of my time, the enjoyable third of my time, putting back, by helping to educate business owners, investors, CEOs, and boards about exit strategy, that's what I think of as fun. That's what I do on my weekends and whenever I get a chance. The harder part, though, is is much more subtle, and that's the human psychology. And you know, you're absolutely right that most of those owners don't have an exit strategy in part because it ties into their own perception of mortality and so many. Founders, especially like myself and and most of my friends, start businesses and their own identities become intertwined with the business. And they start to be confused about where their personal identity ends and the business begins. And because, like most of us, we all aspire at least to live forever, that combination of that identity fuzziness and that mortality denial often leads business owners not to have an exit strategy. And it's the same reason, by the way, that lots of very wealthy people don't have a will. It's just they just don't want to put their minds to the fact that they might not be doing what they're doing and having so much fun doing forever. And so, you know, whenever I get a chance, I put my time and some of my money towards the education part. And I even spoke at a M&A advisory uh, conference uh, a few years ago in Chicago, and I, I did a talk on the psychology of exits. And I had about 500 M&A advisors in the room, and we were—I was polling them by show of hands—how many of them had appreciated what a large part of the work that we do is actually psychology rather than just finance? Yeah.
1: Did you ever imagine that going through uh, engineering school?
2: <laughs> <laughs> no, I didn't. But it's absolutely a part of it. You know, dealing with the very important psychological aspects of an exit strategy and an exit execution is something that I wish every business owner had the opportunity to take advantage of. You know, to be able to work with somebody who'd gone through the same thing themselves and then gone through it several dozen times with other similar types of business owners. It's an important part of it. It's an important part of what I would consider a successful exit.
1: So we we at my firm profess that the reason owners don't have a plan whether it's a plan for how they're going to exit their business or a plan for their finances or a plan for their estate. It's because they don't have clarity around their goals and objectives. You know, at least in my world, the entrepreneurs that I deal with, when they've got their sights set on something, there's no stopping them. They're going to leave awake and they're, you know, behind them. So if they have a clarity of what they want to accomplish, they're going to get there. And yet, when it comes to personal finance, tax and estate planning or business succession planning, it's not a topic that creates a lot of enthusiasm because they're not sure what their options are. Do you see that to be
2: true with the people you speak with? Absolutely. I think that's universal. And for some of the reasons I was saying before, but you know, you extended it, absolutely. It's that you're right. If they had clarity on that exit strategy, the chances go up dramatically of having a successful exit. And to me, it's, it's astounding that these people are such successful business people, and in no other aspect of their business would they not have a strategy and a plan, except in this case, for the very most important thing they've ever done, the largest transaction they've ever done in their lives, no strategy, no plan, not even any serious thought, lots of the time. And again, it's an example of where our psychology defeats us. It's not that these people are bad business people. It's that their human psychology, in my opinion, prevents them from objectively assessing that element of their business because it's so intertwined with their personal identity.
1: So aside from creating a plan, what else could owners do to increase their probability of a successful exit?
2: Great question. It all starts, in my opinion, with that strategy. And and when I say exit strategy, Noah, I'm not talking about something very complicated. I'm talking about having a realistic goal for when you want to sell the company and how much you want to sell it for. And I think that's a lot easier to do than most business people would think. Uh, It often requires some outside input. You know, It requires some professional judgment, uh, especially on the valuation side. You know, a lot of business owners could pick when they would like to sell, and that's often driven by some personal goals. It's often driven by some business goals. It should be driven more often by the M&A market, as you and I've been talking about. But once you've got clarity on a strategy, when and how much, then as you said a minute ago, it comes down to execution. And execution, when I was doing it the first time, was pretty mysterious. But you know, I'm not sure how many exit transactions you've actually lived through as a professional, Noah, but for me, I remember a, a time, you know, a decade or so ago when all of a sudden it became easy because all of a sudden you get to a point in your career after you've done a few dozen exits where you think, this is exactly what's happened in the majority of the situations before. I've seen this before, the same thing's happening again. And like any other human endeavor or any other aspect of business. When you do something enough times, you get better at it. And it's the same reason that, you know, you don't want to have a surgeon who is in their early 30s. You want to go and if you're going to get some surgery, done, you know I don't know about you, but I want the guy with the gray hair and the grizzled face who I think has probably done that same surgery 500 times before. That's who I want holding the scalpel if it's me on the table. It's the same thing with the exit. You now, when it comes time to sell the company you've been building for decades or longer, You want to have somebody who's been there and done it enough times, so they really are an expert at it. And there's just no shortcut to learning by doing when you're talking about selling companies. There's no way you can go to school and learn about it. There's no textbooks you can read about how to sell a company well. So part of the execution is building a team that's going to execute your plan to the very highest quality and ultimate end result, which is really the price and the terms you're going to get. And a large part of why I think so few owners have successful exits is that they do another thing that they would never do in their business, which is they under-resource the project. You know, they don't actually get the best people available, and they don't put the resources to the project. And like anything else in business, they don't end up with the best end result simply because they've under resourced it.
1: So Chris Mercer was on the show recently and he has what he refers to as the one percent solution. Take, you know, one percent of the value of your company and invest that in your planning process around how to maximize value. Do you think that's the right budget? You know, a twenty million dollar company spends two hundred grand a year and a five million dollar company could spend fifty grand a year? Just putting the pieces in place.
2: You know I, I haven't heard of it specifically as a budget item but it's an interesting way to look at it and I you know I think when you put it in those terms most business owners would say yeah that seems like a reasonable thing to do I think that most of the work in developing an exit strategy is usually not hard cash outlay most of the time I think the work is talking with the other stakeholders it's thinking about it it's talking to professionals about what's possible so to me, in my experience, it's more of a budget of time and thought than it is in dollars. But yeah, I like that 1%. Yeah.
1: His uh, corollary was you pay 1% to have the asset manager manage your portfolio. So why not pay 1% to you know your board of advisors to help you through this strategy of how to create value and successfully exit? And I like it. But it, I'll, I'll mention another guest we had on the show was Saying they, they encourage CEOs to spend twenty five percent of their time thinking about how to build value and exit successfully if they're you know three to five years out from a transaction, and that took me a little bit by surprise. But I thought you know the, the reality is that most owners you know they're looking to a banker and for the banker to basically carry them through a process, but they're so far behind the eight ball after you know by the time they hire the banker. They don't know about a data room. They don't know about due diligence. They don't know really what to expect. They don't know what's going to happen as they walk down the road with some private equity firms or some strategic acquirers that have been there and done that and how they're going to get beat up. So what are some of the things these owners should be doing to increase the probability of a successful exit, aside from that plan, aside from making sure they're being thoughtful? Any tactical pieces to it?
2: You know, no, I just want to go back for a minute. And I I think I'm going to disagree pretty violently with what you said a minute ago. You know, if I heard you right, you said that one of your other guests had suggested that a CEO should spend 25% of their time for 3 years prior to the exit thinking about ensuring that transaction was a success. Did I hear that right?
1: Essentially, yeah, they meeting with private equity firms, meeting with bankers, spending time putting your ear to the ground, listening to the marketplace.
2: Well, you know, I After I sold my first company, by the way, and I won't uh, go too far into my background, but I've been a professional investor for a couple of decades. And I've made about a 100 investments myself, mostly in technology companies. And as a shareholder, I don't think 25% is nearly enough time. In fact, I think that CEO has exactly one job. And that one job, if I'm a shareholder, is to increase the shareholder value and optimize the timing of its monetization. So for me, and I would suggest for every company, the CEO's job is to increase the value and then to turn it back into cash. I think it's their only job. And so for me, if a CEO said, I'm going to put 25% into that job, I'd be looking for a new CEO. I'd want somebody who devoted every waking minute to increasing the value and optimizing the timing of that exit. And it's another one of my messages is that you have to understand why you have a business. Some people have a business because it's part of their personal aggrandizement, you know, they want to be famous or they want to be something. That's fine. They can do that if they want. But if you want me to be a shareholder, then I'm a pretty simple guy. I want you to make me some money. And if if what you're doing in a business is making money, then for the vast majority of businesses that have external shareholders, About one simple thing get the price up and turn it back into cash. And that exit strategy is unbelievably powerful in clarifying that in the minds of the CEO and the board. And once you get down to the basics, once you understand really why you're going to work in the morning, it gets much easier to create that value. And just to continue on that vein just a little bit longer, you know, one of the things I wish I knew when I was a young entrepreneur running my first company was something that is being uh propagated out of a group in Ohio called the Ohio Tech Angels and the Ohio Tech Angels I think are ahead of anybody else in the country in really understanding the creation and alignments of that exit strategy in the organization and what the Ohio Tech Angels are doing now is they're reaffirming the exit strategy at every board meeting so at the beginning of every board meeting the chairman you know reads the minutes. And the first item on every agenda is, okay, get the exit strategy that we've agreed to. It is, and it's again, it's simple, when and how much. Is there any discussion? Anybody think that we need to think about changing that? If not, let's have a show of hands and ratify that that's the reason that we're all here. That's the purpose of the company. That's the CEO's job, execute the exit strategy. And we can't prove it yet. I think we'll need another 10 years or so, but I think that in a decade, you'll be able to go back And look at the portfolio of the Ohio Tech Angels. And I'd be willing to bet my house they're going to have a higher return simply because of that clarification and that regular reinforcement of the primary function of the company, which is to create shareholder value, which they're doing at every board meeting. I think it's brilliant. I
1: love it. I'm I'm going to implement that with all my holdings now. I love it. I do a quarterly board meeting at a handful of companies, and we talk about our three-year target and our ten-year target, but we don't quantify the price and the timing for when we want to exit. And I think that one simple change will make those issues manifest more readily. Just you know, the, the pure philosophy that if we put it out there, it's more likely to happen than if we don't if we don't talk about it. I do have one company that I was a Series A investor but they're going to raise Series B pretty soon. And they're very clear, $100 million in 2020, that's their timeline, 35% IRR to the Series B investor. You know, They've got it mapped out. And that was attractive to me. So I think everything that you just said there uh, leads me to believe that that's a very powerful, simple-to-implement strategy. So thank you for that.
2: Well, thank you. and And I'm really happy to hear that there are companies out there with that clarity And I think if we could do a double-blind study, and we had half of the companies that had that clarity, half that didn't, and you measured the outcomes, measured the results, it would be a staggering difference in how much money those shareholders made. And the shareholders in the companies with clarity on the goal, I think, would be so much more wealthy. Again, it's a simple yet incredibly powerful thing that I hope more and more companies adopt. I would
1: say based on what you said about a CEO's job being 100% focused on growing shareholder value versus the other guest I had where it was 25%, a lot of that's the perspective of who's the shareholder and you know, do you have outside shareholders? Is it really a closely held lifestyle type family business? But in either event, the family or the owner that has outside shareholders, they sh- everybody should be in agreement on when, when we're going to sell it and how much we're going to sell it for. It would help to not miss the bus when it comes by which I've seen all too often happen to entrepreneurs, they get a great offer and they're just not ready to accept it. And by the time they're ready to accept an offer, the market's changed on them, the business has changed on them, their health has changed on them, whatever the circumstances are, and the value's just not there the way it was when opportunity presented itself.
2: I see that all the time too, Noah, and it just just breaks my heart. You know, in fact, to really be brutally honest about what's actually happening out there, I also talk at conferences about the fact that I believe only 25% of the companies that could be sold end up being successfully sold. And so what I'm saying is that of the companies that were valuable, the companies that could have been sold, only 25% exit well. They have what a lot of people call a happy exit. You know, there's a great book that was written uh, this year called Finish Big. And Finish Big is a real. Bo
1: was just on the show. (laughs) Bo was the last guest right before you. So there you go.
2: So, Bo did us all a service because he put five years of his life into writing Finish Big. And what he did that I hadn't ever seen written before is he interviewed not just the people who had successful exits, he interviewed a lot of people who had what I call unsuccessful exits. Bo calls them unhappy exits or unhappy after. Now, he didn't coin it specific phrase, but Finish Big, I think, should be required reading for any CEO or business owner because he gives you a chance through his amazingly skillful writing to see the two types of exits, the successful and the unsuccessful. And to me, as a business owner, as as an investor through most of my life, that 25% is a terrifyingly small percentage. I mean, we blow it 75% of the time. So, you know, for the business owners that are listening to this, there's a 75% chance they're not going to have a successful exit. This is unbelievably bad news, I think, in one way, because what it means is that there's all of this lost wealth that families, that shareholders, that investors are going to have because these companies aren't executing their exits better. And there's lots of reasons why this happens. And in, in my full day workshop, I spend hours going through the various mechanisms that I've seen contribute to these unsuccessful exits. And I won't try and do that now on this call, but if anybody's interested, you know they can have a look at the videos on my blog where I've recorded some of these workshops and I've described all of the main reasons that companies don't have successful exits. And what I'm really trying to do is to get across what can be done to increase that from that terrible 25% to... I think 50%. I think we could get it right half the time. And that's, you know, me perhaps being an entrepreneur and being that indefatigable optimist that I think we can be twice as good as we are now. But I think that just through knowledge and education, we could get to the point in the not too distant future where half of the companies that were sold had successful exits. And I think if we could just do that one thing, it would make an enormous difference in the overall economic growth of the country. You'd see the GDP of the country increase if we could just capture that enormous amount of wealth that's not in circulation because so many of those companies had less than optimum exits.
1: That's the reason we do the show. You couldn't have said it better than me. So I uh, appreciate you coming on to talk to our audience. If they want to read your blog, read your book, where should they go?
2: The easiest thing to do is just go to exits.com. So www.exits.com. You can see everything that I've written on all those nights and weekends on my blog, which is just exits.com slash blog. But I'm easy to find. You can search Basil Peters. You can search exits and uh, you'll find my material. And, you know, my sincere hope is that some of that content is going to help business owners, help CEOs, help boards just do it better than they might have without that additional knowledge and education.
1: Well, thanks so much for coming on the show. We certainly share in the same mission of helping entrepreneurs succeed, and I appreciate the thought leadership that you're providing in the field. Thanks again. Thank you, Noah. All right. Take care. To everyone, don't forget to rate us on iTunes, and if you have any future guests for the show, email them in to me, noah at freedomadv.com.
0: Thanks for listening to the Divestopedia Exit Strategy Podcast. Make sure to visit us on the web at divestopedia.com to see more of our resources for entrepreneurs who want to sell their business for the best price and terms. Whether you are thinking of selling, have started the sales process, or are post-deal, we aim to arm you with the knowledge required to maximize value and limit your downside risk. If you have any questions about today's podcast, you can contact your host, Noah Rosenfarb, a CPA and personal CFO to business owners planning their transition at 855-540-0400. Please be sure to rate us on iTunes and give us your feedback. Until next time, this is the Divestopedia Exit Strategy Podcast.